Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Dan Viennes. Call this a bonus episode. Reacting to some breaking news today in the NFL, the Denver Broncos finally do what has seemed inevitable for the last few weeks. They have fired first-year head coach Nathaniel Hackett. Um, here to break it all down with me and give his thoughts is a former host of this show, now host of the Daily Seahawkers podcast, also on the SB Nation Network, Brandon Schultz. Good to see you again, Brandon. Welcome into the show. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, we got uh, a little bit of a, a Christmas present from the Rams <laughs> yesterday, and I think it led to the news today, as it turns out. Yeah. It, tough to see. You know, it, it felt like the momentum up until what happened this weekend was that maybe he'd hang on till the end of the year, but that the performance against the Rams was so terrible, especially considering how decimated that Rams roster is right now that um, makes sense for them to make a move. There's a lot to unpack here, and we're going to tie this back into how it impacts the Seahawks, but just your initial thoughts on what has transpired over the course of the season with with the Broncos situation and, and how it ties in with Russell Wilson and his desire to move on and handpick that team. Right. Kind of juxtaposed to how you thought it was going to go when the trade happened. What are your thoughts? Well, there were, there was a lot of uncertainty as far as I was concerned with how this could go with Russ going to the Broncos because, yeah, everything was handpicked and the, the Broncos had a solid defense, which, again, I, I think plays into the firing of Nathaniel Hackett post-game, giving up 50-plus points to a Rams team that's on their what, third starting quarterback for the yeah. season and a guy who couldn't even make it as a starting quarterback in Carolina. So uh, the fact that they gave up that many points, I, I think it it speaks to the reasoning behind the firing of Hackett. But yeah, as far as those expectations around the season, I, I think the expectations were solid. Now, I had some of my own questions when preseason rolled around and we heard just some of the ways that both Russ and coach Hackett were talking about going into the season. You know, I, I remember seeing quotes about how, you know, it was more of a, a partnership than a coach and players. Yeah. And you, you heard about this collaborating, you know, it was so collaborative and, and how they were going to approach this. And just some of the way that coach Hackett was talking going into the season, it, it seemed like he was, offering a lot of deference to to both Russell Wilson and maybe the players as well. And so when I started hearing that, I, I, it, it threw up some red flags for me. Yeah. It, it was almost cringeworthy for me. In fact, I'm sure if I went back and looked at my tweets, I probably reacted to it that way that that just doesn't seem like, you know, a new coach coming into his first job in the league, like you're dealing from a position of strength at all. Like you're going to defer, you know, decision-making processes. And, and, and if, if I recall, Russ even said some things or, or maybe there was some there was some speculation and conjecture out there that he might even feel like he had a say in some personnel decisions and some issues there as well. That, man, that's a tough that's a tough thing to chew on if you're thinking about, you know, a head coach being in control and being a leader and having to have control of all aspects of his team. And it really sort of reminded me very much of the issues that started to crop up in 16 and 17, where you heard some of those whispers and behind the scenes reports of discontent in the Seahawks locker room, because, you know, Russ was trying to exert his influence. I guess my initial thoughts were, I, I was in favor of the trade at the time. I think we've talked about this on, on previous mm -hmm. shows. I thought it was the prudent thing to do. And, and in particular, because I just thought that ship had sailed and, and it was time for a divorce, but also because I thought, 
we had seen some pretty clear signs that physically Russ was getting to a point in his career where his skills were going to diminish and those were going to be harder. It was going to be harder to mask his weaknesses and play to his strengths and that the, the drop off was coming. I never in a million years thought it would be this significant and this dramatic. And now the Broncos have to wonder, I mean, where do they go from here? How, let me ask you this first. Let's look ahead. Now they're in a coaching search. There's mm-hmm. speculation already, guys. I've seen on Twitter. Is Sean Payton want to go there? Is a is an experienced head coach who's in demand going to want to touch this situation? I would. Gosh, Walmart, uh, the the Walmart ownership group. They have a lot of money. <laughs> they do indeed. <laughs> They're going to need it. Find a way to pay someone <laughs> to be interested enough in the job. Yeah. So. I suppose that the Broncos franchise has that going for them. And I'm not saying that they can't find the right guy. I mean, there might be another, you know, assistant coach who's ready for a shot out there who can handle this situation. It just seems like if you're, let's just use Sean Payton as an example, because he's the name being thrown out there the most, you know, that he had so much success with Drew Brees. That's a guy that Russ has been compared to many times in his career, mostly because of the physical stature. Is Sean Payton going to want to go to a situation with, a potentially deteriorating uh, quarterback who whose confidence might be shot and and take over a team that's going to be hamstrung financially for the next couple of years and have no draft picks to try and build around him. I, I don't think so. I don't see that. I could make a case for it. If I'm Sean Payton and I'm looking at the Broncos as a whole, I could, I could say, well, shoot, they've had injuries along the offensive line mm-hmm. and even at key receiver spots and on defense it's, it's been and on defense it's yeah. it's been a struggle in terms of injuries so that's led to uh, their to, to what they've seen this season in terms of their record you have arguably still a future hall of fame quarterback in russell wilson is it just the way that hackett had been using him that he could look at that and say hey I know that Russ's strengths are when the when the plays break down that he can usually find a way to to find an open guy. Do, is that something that they even practice? It doesn't even seem like Broncos receivers know what to do when a play breaks down. And that's something that I'm used to seeing yeah. watching Russell Wilson and all throughout his history as a Seahawks quarterback. All the receivers know what to do when the play breaks down and that's where they tend to find those biggest plays. That doesn't really seem to be in the Hackett playbook. So if I'm Sean Payton looking at those things, plus a defense that, yeah, they lost Bradley Chubb, but is there a free agent pass rusher that they could bring in and and still have a really, I mean, the secondary is still really solid. They got a lot of players there. That could still be a, a very good defense going forward. Well, and I'm not here to say that I think that what we're seeing out of Russell this year is what we're going to see going forward. I'd, I'm, I'm not opposed to the idea that it could get better. Because um, they also went into the season, we most of us thought the Broncos were going to have a really dangerous ground game with the tandem of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. And Gordon's ineffective and he can't hold on to the football. He gets cut and Williams gets hurt. So, you know, there, it, it, this could certainly be a case of it, it got worse before it's going to get better. And maybe the, the right head coach can kind of calm things down there. Um, if there are, there are already some tweets, I can't recall exactly which of the NFL uh, reporters, it was either uh, Schefter or maybe Rappaport that tweeted, look, they, if the Broncos want to move on from Russell Wilson this offseason, they can't. Mm. But my goodness, will it be painful? If, if you were to cut him, I, 
I think we can rule out the idea of a trade. I find it hard to believe any team in the NFL out there is going to want to give up anything for a guy and take on that contract. So if you're talking about just cutting a guy, if it's before June 1st, it's it's virtually impossible. It's over $100 million on the cap hit. And the projected cap for 2023 is about $225 million. With some of the new rights deals being signed, uh, that if anything, that could go up a little bit. If you yeah, well, designate, uh, go ahead. With regard to the cap real quick to interrupt you, I don't know quite enough how it works. I know John Gilbert at Field Goals could probably break this down. Yeah, John would be great better. for this. But I think that the team keeps the signing bonus as dead money on their books. And so for 2023, Russ has a base salary of 8 million, 2024, a base salary of 17. I don't know if the, the four and $8 million options, if those go with the contract to the new team, but to me, those seem the next three years really seem relatively favorable. There's an optional out after 2025 with Russell's contract. So I, I wonder if trading for it for the base salary portion, if it could be beneficial, if the Broncos could find a team to to make a trade with, if, if the salary works in the way that I think it does. Yeah. And let me do this here. Well, I was going to screen share it for our live viewers, but um, it, it's hard to tell. And, and John would be a yeah. great uh, resource for this. It, but based on what you say, that does make some sense. Trading him would be the best option for the Broncos if they can find a taker. The damage would be less. Um, right now, when you look at just over the cap, um, pre-June 1st, it shows a dead money hit of $107 million. I think it accelerates the signing bonus and the guaranteed money. It shows the cap savings uh, as a negative number. So I'm not sure how to reconcile that. Um, if you change it to a post-June 1, it changes the dead money to $39 million in the cap savings to negative 17. So 40, what was that? 40, $56 million. So against the... Yeah. If that's if that math is correct, if that's how that works, that's more palpable. If you just want to cut your losses and move on, um, still seems like though, depending obviously on what kind of interest they get in that head coaching job, and if they get a guy they think it'd be easy for them to talk themselves into, let's give it one more year because with each passing year into that new contract now, it will get a little easier to move on from him, and the cap keeps moving up too. So. I find it hard to see any scenario really where Russ isn't the quarterback there again in 23. And then, you know, the story just continues and we'll see how that unfolds. I, I do from a Seahawks fan perspective though, I, I'm curious what you th would think about this dance. Say there's somebody out there who really wants Geno Smith and the Seahawks can franchise tag him, trade him, end up getting maybe a first round pick. Maybe the Broncos, with all the salary considerations, they'd be willing to take a second if the Seahawks were to give their, uh, their not the Broncos second back to them, but their their own second for Russell Wilson. It lessens that you only have to take a, a cap hit of 8 to $10 million on the books for 2023. Would you accept Russell back to the Seahawks on maybe a two-year type deal knowing that you were able to get draft picks for Geno. And uh, and so now you've got the offensive tackles for Russ. Mm -hmm. Going into the draft, you can build up the defense a little bit, maybe the interior offensive line too. Would that interest you? Wow, curveball. Was not expecting that to come at me. Uh, not in a million years. 
not no, not in a million years. I, I just think you know the the analogy for me to use another baseball analogy is I think I think Russ is that power hitter that's lost bat speed and he's just never going to get it back and he's going to have to yeah. overcompensate and try to load up and try to run into one. I I just don't see. I think the when you given the options, one of which is in your in your house right now, um, I not in a million years. I just think he's a declining player and now I think that mental edge that he used to have that made him such a great player. I think that's, that might be damaged. And and if you take that away from Ross, man, now you're talking with a guy who's just grasping to figure out what kind of player he is. So um, I'm not considering that in a million years. I have, I have gone over some scenarios when looking at the draft and possible trade back scenarios and things where, where um, I look at draft positions and I'm like, Ooh, Denver might make sense. They might want to move up, but are they going to want to trade with us again? <laughs> when you, when you recap now, and let's talk about that. So now when you look at it from the Seahawks side, what they end up with, you know, is all the draft capital last year and, and the players out of it, Fant and Harris and Drew Locke. And, and then this year, which going into this year, I think we all thought the Seahawks might end up with a top five, top 10 pick of their own native pick. And the Broncos pick would be somewhere in the twenties. Now it's the other way around. As we sit here today, according to Tankathon, let's pull that up for those of you watching on the stream. There we go. Uh, The Seahawks would have the third and the 12th pick in this draft. Wow. That is remarkable. Now that could change. When you look at the third pick, I feel like they're kind of locked into that. Yes, they could mathematically still get to two. They could mathematically get to one. There is a scenario. A lot would have to happen. Because the Seahawks' strength of schedule is so much easier than most of the teams that they're near, they would win almost every tiebreaker. And by win, I mean have the higher pick. Mm-hmm. They To move up to three, Chicago would have to lose another game. Now, Denver's pick. Denver plays Kansas City this week, then the Chargers. I don't think they win again. I think they finish four and 13. So at worst, the Seahawks are going to be drafting three. But to move up to two, the Bears would have to lose again. And uh, that siren you hear, I, th- I think, might be support on the way for the Bears because they're just they're they're stumbling across the finish line, and they play the Lions and the Vikings in week two. And granted, who knows what kind of team the Lions are? We don't know from week to week. And the Vikings have been weird. The Vikings have been weird, and they might not have to play guys in week eighteen. So, you know, they could sneak out a win. They're certainly going to try to win. I would think. Um, but let's let's assume I, I feel pretty safe in thinking the Seahawks are going to draft third. Right. That 12th pick, though, <laughs> that could end up in the 20s. There are 13 teams with seven or eight wins right now. Nine teams alone at seven and eight, and then the commanders are seven, seven, and one. If the Seahawks were to win a game or two, they could tumble with that second pick all the way into the 20s. If you're, where do you stand now? Because this has evolved. My thoughts on it have evolved from extreme to sort of moderate. Right now, I'm kind of in the middle. Where do you stand right now on Geno Smith and his performance this year? And what you think the future holds? And if you're John Schneider and you're sitting there, let's just say today, let's just say the Seahawks have the third and the 12th pick in this upcoming draft. Are you thinking quarterback at all? Are you sold on Geno Smith and you're punting on quarterback to build up the defense and the interior offensive line, or do you fall somewhere in the middle? Where are you? A lot of it depends on how the draft falls. And I could see with the way things stand right now with the third and the 12th pick, I think there's potential that 
You have a top-tier pass rusher available to you with the third pick. And there's still a quarterback that you see with some potential in the 12th pick. And on top of that, you have picks in the following year. You have picks in the second round that you could use to move that number 12 pick up to even the top 10, easily in the top 10, maybe even into the top five if you package enough picks together. Yeah, four of the top 43 as it stands right now. Four of the top 43 picks. And so if you're talking about having the number three pick and the number six pick, shoot, you you may not, you might go quarterback with the three and then pass Mm -hmm. rusher with the six and still have two solid players that you can build your team around moving forward. The question is, I guess, whether or not does Geno come back? Do they decide to bring Drew Locke back um, and make it a competition that way? Have we... Is there another veteran quarterback that they could bring in as uh, who who could perform just as well as Geno has this last year and run the offense it somewhat efficiently that wouldn't maybe necessarily cost as much as Geno is going to cost going into hmm. the 2023 season? So there's a lot of different ways that they could take it. And what's one of the things that makes this offseason so fascinating <sighs> now with so many different options yeah. between the draft, between the starting quarterback and it's it's going to be fun. I I don't I don't even know what to expect because I I don't even know if we should be expecting playoffs. The the Seahawks could rattle off two more wins. I, it doesn't seem as likely the way. What do you want right now? Would week. you rather have the third pick or would you rather they sneak into the playoffs for playoff experience? Well, that would be both because I, I'd rather have the third pick from the Broncos and then I'd rather have. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, the, we're talking the about the twelfth pick, pick rather yeah, than right. the twelfth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be fun to sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, you yeah. do get some playoff experience for some of these young rookies. I think that can be valuable. Yeah, I'm with and you. I, I don't think that can ever be a, a negative. The The negative would be that if they go into the playoffs, they lose in the first round. Instead of having... It, it's easy to look at that chart that you just pulled up and see, okay, well, if they had the 20th pick... But to have the twelfth pick, mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty. If you're if you have the twentieth pick, it takes a whole lot more draft capital than to move into the top ten from there. Yeah, if you're looking indeed. at a potential future quarterback, to where if you're at the number twelve spot, you can get there a whole lot easier, and maybe somebody falls to you that you didn't necessarily ex- expect, like yeah. when Justin Fields fell to the Bears. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing for the Bears. So that's the jury's still out on that one. It's still out, but he may be the second best quarterback in that draft class from what we're seeing this yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. And just I'm open to as I have been this entire season, just whatever happens, you know, if they if they win the last two, and I, I guess the worst case scenario would be they win the last two, they finish nine and eight, and they miss the playoffs, right? Because right. then you lose out on the draft capital and yeah, also I, the I did I actually posed that question on Twitter today. <laughs> And I think my favorite answer so far has been uh, either win the following two and make the playoffs or lose the last two and get the top draft pick. Don't do something in between because that would be the worst case scenario. Well, I guess the in between would be you lose those two, but but you play okay and you show or you, you win know, one the things, and you yeah. lose some of the draft yeah, position right. or you you win enough and still miss the playoffs. Yeah, that was 
It certainly makes the last, with all those teams bunched up, it makes the last two weeks of the NFL season fascinating for Seahawks fans because you're going to be, if you don't have red zone, you might want to get it for the next couple of weeks because you're going to be wanting to watching, you're going to be want to, you're going to want to be watching like 70% of the league. It's, it can change so much from week to week. And well, how many impacted just from this past week, yeah, Dan? I mean, they yeah. were the, the Lions game, even the Packers game had influence because now they're back in the playoff picture and and then you're following all the other games to see where, you know, it can like the Rams winning was a great thing because now they're not among the bottom teams that could afford the Lions a draft pick that would compete with the Broncos draft pick. True. But then and this is to your point, you're also watching that game talking about mixed feelings and you're thinking Broncos draft pick just got higher, but also the Lions pick. And then, but geez, the Rams might be kind of good right now. And suddenly that last game have to play them in week 18. doesn't yeah. look as winnable. Yeah. Um, what is your outlook going into these last two games? It sounds like uh, Mike White will be back under center this week for the New York Jets. Uh, certainly a Seahawks fan. If you want to win that game, you're hoping it'd be Zach Wilson. Um, it's not going to be. And now there's actually reports that they're, they're probably going to move on from him. Um, uh, how do you feel coming back off of what you saw in Kansas City, coming home to play a Jets team that's been sort of hard to read the last few weeks? I feel pretty good about this game in general. I, I don't know if Mike White or Zach, if Zach Wilson really matters too much for the Jets, other than it seems like Jets players prefer to play for Mike White over Wilson. And it doesn't matter too much as long as the Jets decide to hand off the football and go run heavy because I think that's the weakness of the defense. I think that Coach Sala for the Jets is smart enough to see that and would exploit that, whereas the past couple of weeks I, I felt like the Chiefs and the Niners both went pass heavy anyway yeah. against the Seahawks defense when they could have chose to run the ball a little bit more. So I, I don't think that what we've seen from the defense this past week is improvement in the run game. I think it's just more that teams have decided to pass more. And I would expect the Jets to go heavy back to that. So while we might be thinking, oh, maybe the defense has fixed a few things, this could help us uh, decide whether or not that's the case. And I, yeah. I just, I, I think they're going to, to struggle to hold the Jets on the ground. Um, and then that defensive secondary going to be pretty tough they I mean they had a hard time throwing the ball with no Tyler Lockett um, against yeah. the Chiefs and they could have those same struggles against this Jets defense so it's going I have a feeling it's going to be a close game coming up with the Jets it's you know as every week has been this week this year it, it's going to be fascinating to see I mean there were some things that we saw in the second half against Kansas City that looked good and and to your point against their about their running game. It did though, overall seem like the Seahawks run fits and their tackling was better. They were more assignment sound. Al Woods might have a chance to get back this week based on Pete Carroll's comments this morning. Um, we'll have to wait and see about Ryan Neal, but, but there were some good things that came out of that. And then in the second half, what we saw to the Seahawks running game, running more off tackle, yeah. even with stone Forsyth in there at right tackle for, for, um, for Abe Lucas, uh, and we'll wait and see on some test results for Lucas. It sounds like his uh, injury might be more severe than Carroll at first thought after the game, unfortunately. But uh, but obviously with the way the running game went in the second half, Forsyth wasn't a downgrade. Um, you know, we'll see. The, the Jets haven't been able to run the ball very effectively since they lost Brees Hall and since James Robinson's been banged up. And so that might play to the Seahawks' advantage. But, but yeah, this... 
we we said that too going into the game against the Bucks. And, <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did. And the, the Panthers oh, and well, they don't have a run game, yep. and then all of a sudden they they well the Carolina Panthers, you know, they put up. No. You can get awfully healthy against the Seahawks run defense. That's for sure. <laughs> All so right. I, I, I hope I I'm hopeful. And yeah. yeah, I think if they can build off of, cause I think where we've seen the most success from this team is when there's been a solid running game with mm-hmm. Gino to be, to be complimentary to Gino Smith. And if the adjustment that Walker made, you know, talking about how he was going to be more decisive going into that second half. And he was yeah. against the chiefs. And yeah, we saw a complete 180 degree turn from his performance in the first half versus Kansas City versus the second half performance. So if if Walker can help propel this running game, I think that that really opens up the offense for Geno, despite not having Tyler. It, uh, and and that would be, I think, the path to victory and, and at least the path to points offensively. And it would just be whether or not, yeah, you you could shut down the Jets in the run game because I, I don't think you have as as much to worry about whoever is throwing it at, at quarterback for the Jets to I just don't think that they have a ton of talent in the passing game yeah Garrett Williams but you know we've the Seahawks secondary has held yeah. up well this year and and I, I'm with you on you know the people forget so quickly the same exact thing happened last year uh, when they had some injuries at quarterback, the Jets did. Uh, Wilson got hurt. Flacco got hurt. Mike White had to come in, had a had an amazing game. I, I feel like if my memory serves me correctly. It was on a Monday or a Thursday night game last year where he had four touchdowns. Everyone picked him up in fantasy the next week. And then he came back to earth. Same thing this year. He gets his shot. He plays well. You've got national pundits saying he might be the franchise quarterback. And then the next couple of weeks, he looks, you know, more like a, just an average NFL quarterback. Um, how quickly we forget. I, I think a lot of the things you touch on just really speak to how thin the margin for error with the Seahawks roster is just because there are some, some weak spots on this roster that can't be fixed right now that you have to work around. And so the team has to play well, you have to execute first half in the run game. They didn't. And as a result, it made Kenneth Walker look like the culprit. I tweeted out, you know, gosh, that tendency he has to bounce outside can really be to his detriment sometimes and really frustrating. But then where was he going to run? The, the lanes just weren't there. Second half, they right. were. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that it looked like he was more decisive and, and went north and south more and, and the running game got going. So um, we'll see if they can continue that. Because the, the one thing that's been striking to me these last this last month or so, in, in difference to, to um, the beginning of the season or the first quarter or third of the season is, Seahawks just haven't gotten off to good starts on offense. And the things that we'll see as a positive in the previous game, aren't carrying over. You know, I thought after that ugly first quarter against the 49ers, they came back and were able to move the football against the best defense in the NFC, but we didn't see any of those things carry over into the game against Kansas City. Well, now they have another opportunity where they found some things that worked in that second half. Can we see that coming out of the gate against this Jets defense? Um, we'll see. Uh, you, you know, it, it'll be telling if, if they, if they come out and play well against the jets, then that'll change. Obviously my opinion about how they could perform against the Rams and, and vice versa. But anyway, well, and the other, the part of it too, is what we saw game plan wise defensively against Brock Purdy and the 49ers. They, they blitzed Purdy twice the entire yeah. game. Yeah. And yeah, if Mike white can stand back there and have all kinds of time, 
it doesn't matter how talented or not talented the the receiving core is. Yeah, Wilson's a, a nice, solid rookie and can find a way to get open. If they're not getting any pressure on Mike White at all, yeah, he's going to find somebody to throw to in that amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. And the Jets have had their issues on the offensive line too. Some guys have been banged up and moved around. and and um, So we'll see. I haven't looked at the forecast yet. I think what it is now is kind of what it's supposed to be, mid-40s and some rain involved. So it doesn't look like weather's going to be a huge factor uh, as opposed to the Jets' last game they played. My goodness. Um well, Brandon Schultz, thank you so much for your thoughts and for joining me. Uh, let everybody know about the Seahawkers pod and when and where they can catch that. Yeah, we're doing daily shows on the Seahawkers podcast. You can go to seahawkerspodcast.com and we're going to be doing, uh, I think, three in, three out Monday evening and we should be doing that live. So if you join us out on YouTube, you can comment as we uh, do that show and and get your submissions in for your ins and your outs. If you want to call out anybody in particular from this past Chiefs game. And uh, yeah, we we'll look forward to hearing from you and interacting on that show this evening. And you can always follow Brandon on uh, Twitter at Seahawkers pod, get his thoughts on there and interact with him there as well. Brandon, thanks for joining me. And we'll, uh, we'll for sure be connecting in the off season, because as you said, uh, sometimes what we do can be a little boring in the off season with some starts and stops. Uh, I think this one's going to be fascinating from the time the season ends. And I, and I almost can't wait for that. It's, it's not going to be boring. <laughs> All right, Brandon, thank you very much for joining me. All right, before we go, um, I was thinking about something that Brandon and I touched on just now. And my thoughts on the quarterback situation in Seattle have evolved as the season has gone along. And what I've seen from afar is it has for you guys too. It seemed to me like early in the season, let's say the first third of the season when Gino was killing it and the offense was prolific and it looked like, you know, he was legitimately a top five, top eight quarterback in the league. So many of you, from what I gathered, completely flipped around on your thoughts of quarterback. Whereas entering the season, it was, thank goodness we have those extra picks in 2023 because we need to get a quarterback at the top of the draft. But when we all saw how well Gino played and not just how well he played, how good he was, there is a difference. So many of you went to the other extreme. We're good at quarterback franchise him, sign him. Don't use any picks on quarterback punt on that position. Let's build up this defense because it stinks. Then we hit the point in the season where the offense started to struggle a little bit. And I was asked today on Twitter, um, or I responded to a question about where do you feel, where do you stand now on, on how Gino has played since week 10? It was Michael Sean Duger posed a question from The Athletic. And I was one of the few that said, I feel as good about him since week 10 as I did before. And here's why. Because everything's been on him. The things that Brandon and I just talked about. No running game. Struggling defensively. Uh Gino has had to be the guy to shoulder the load and some of it hasn't looked as pretty, but I think how he's played since week 10 has told me as much or more about him as it did before week 10. In particular, I think about in that 49ers game, it gets that great defense and it was a struggle. It was, he grinded his way through that game, but he made some things happen and got us back in the game. And at times he's the only reason we've been in a position to win some of these games. I've also noticed a shift among the fan base. And as we sit here today, now I feel like it's kind of shifted back to the middle. And many of you feel exactly the way Brandon just described. Let's see how the draft goes. Let's see how the offseason plays out. With that being said, 
I've become more open to the idea of taking a quarterback early. And so I wanted to go over some of this with you because as we get closer to the draft, you're going to start hearing names and you're going to get more specific about guys that you know or don't know. And there's four names and four names only that are being talked about as first round draft picks this year at the quarterback position. CJ Stroud out of Ohio State, Bryce Young out of Alabama, who at this point seems to be the consensus number one pick overall by Houston in most mock drafts. And then you have Will Levis of Kentucky and Anthony Richardson of Florida. Both of those players are very polarizing prospects. In some respects, Stroud is too because of the poor history of quarterbacks from Ohio State moving on to the NFL. Levis is polarizing because he's thrown some picks. And he didn't play well this year. When going into the season, a lot of people thought he might ascend to the number one pick because of his physical attributes, his leadership ability. But the play on the field hasn't been as good. And Anthony Richardson has been polarizing because he's all tools and no production. He's just a guy that's dripping with athletic traits, but he just hasn't really backed it up with precision on the field. So he's more of a guy that you have to dream on. My focus is on Levis. He was my favorite quarterback coming into this year. And the way he's played has tempered that somewhat. But I wanted to crunch some numbers because what you're going to hear a lot over the next couple of months is comparisons between him and Josh Allen. Not just physically, Allen's taller, he's 6'5, 233. Levis is built about the same, but he's two inches shorter, 6'3, 222. But similar in how they play the game, both strong arms can make every NFL throw. Um, but also because they're both physical players who can run the football really well. Levis is tough. In fact, one of the reasons he struggled this year is, or one of the contributing factors is he's been banged up. And that may be because he's a little reckless with his body sometimes. But I wanted to look at some things because usually when I throw Will Levis's name out there, I get kicked back with, throws too many interceptions. Not Pete Carroll's kind of guy, won't touch him. And indeed he has thrown... Um, 35 interceptions in his career. He started out as a backup at Penn State before transferring to Kentucky the last two years as a full-time starter. He's thrown 35 picks. Most of them in the last two years as a starter at Kentucky. That's a lot. But I wanted to point something out. This is not Pete Carroll's decision. Yes. Yes. He is number one on the flow chart in Seattle as the president. But he has mostly deferred these personnel decisions to John Schneider. And when you're talking about a quarterback, you're talking about making a decision that will likely outlast Carroll's tenure as a head coach. So Carroll certainly has to sign off on it and agree with it. But I'm not so sure that he wouldn't. We have heard, and I'm not even going to address this point. A lot of you say, John Schneider, they can't draft in the first round, so I don't trust any of this process anyway. Set that aside because they just haven't had the opportunity to draft this high ever. And when they have, they've done pretty well with it, actually. And in particular, what do we know about John Schneider and his affinity for quarterbacks? We know that it was he and he alone who first stumbled onto Russell Wilson and zeroed in on him when he realized he could be special and convinced Pete Carroll and the rest of that organization to take him in the third round. He was certainly right about his, his assessment of Russell Wilson as a player. We also know now that he fell in love with Patrick Mahomes. And don't forget, forget about the great player he is now. There were question, major question marks about Patrick Mahomes the year he came out in the draft. Some people figured, thought he'd be a reach at the end of the first round, that he wasn't a first round player, that he wasn't an NFL starter. 
He was too reckless. His mechanics stunk. Schneider fell in love with him and reportedly would have taken him if he had fallen to the Seahawks pick that year, even though Russell Wilson was in his prime. We also know that he fell in love with Josh Allen out of Wyoming. And that, that his love for Allen that year led to him calling the Cleveland Browns and asking him about the number one pick. This year Mayfield came out and exploring the possibility of trading Russell Wilson to the Browns for the number one pick in which he would have used that on Josh Allen. And in fact, Schneider's appearance at Allen's pro day kind of started this whole divorce proceedings between Wilson, the discontent between Mark Rogers, his agent and the Seahawks. So I just wanted to put this out there just to start the process to get you thinking. If you're thinking, don't touch Will Levis with a 10-foot pole because he threw some picks this year. Josh Allen at Wyoming threw an interception on 0.8% in 0.8% of his games. He threw 21 picks in 27 games. His passer rating over his career at Wyoming was 137.7 against lesser competition than Levis has played against. Levis has averaged 0.6 interceptions per game over his career, 35 in 38 games. It's one interception every 30 attempts. Josh Allen at Wyoming was one interception in almost the exact same, about every 30 attempts. Does that translate to the NFL? Josh Allen in the NFL, one interception for every 43 attempts. He's actually gotten better there. Will Levis's college uh, quarterback rating, just for uh, just for comparison's sake, one forty five point six to one thirty seven point seven for Josh Allen. So I'm just saying, keep an open mind because, and Brandon touched on this. I'm not saying if the Seahawks pick third, they're going to take Will Levis there, or should. I'm saying they might, they could. Would they pass up a Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, a generational type defensive lineman for that quarterback? Likely not. But if they end up with their second pick being as high as it is now, as Brandon pointed out, don't be shocked if John Schneider falls in love with a guy like Will Levis. Not a guy like, if he actually falls in love with Will Levis, doing anything he can to move up and get him. Because I've done this and this is the, this is the point I'm going to leave you on. If you're listening to this right now and you 1000% disagree, and I'm also saying, by the way, keep Geno Smith. At, at minimum, franchise him. Pay him $31.5 million this offseason for one year and see how it goes. And he can be the bridge. Or give him the non-exclusive franchise tag. And if someone wants to give you two first round picks for him, take it. But I'm good with Geno Smith coming back. But if you have an opportunity to get a potential franchise quarterback long-term and you don't draft this high very often, this is a gift. This is a gift. This is a Christmas gift from Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. Then take it because here's my final thought. Play around with the mock draft simulators. Take Will Levis at three, just for argument's sake. Pass up Will Anderson. Take Will Levis at three. And you'll be able to fill out the rest of the draft without spending one penny in draft capital to move up to get a quarterback and have a dynamic draft that completely changes the outlook of your defense and interior offensive line moving forward. It can be done. It would be, imagine this. Imagine if all the Seahawks had coming back to them this year is the Broncos' second round pick and they're picking 12th 
And that's your draft. You have the 12th pick in every round. And you also have a high second. Would you be excited about this draft and fortifying this roster to get it to contention status long-term? I would. So if you take that gift and you use it on a quarterback, that might not be a bad way to go. Especially knowing you have a guy right now that you control that you can win with. Just food for thought. Thanks for joining me on this special edition. Thank you to Brandon Schultz of the Seahawkers pod for joining me as well. As always, subscribe to the podcast, his and mine. Dana uh, is off this week, but I'll be back later in the week before the Jets game with another episode. And uh, you can catch Brandon five days a week on the Seahawkers pod. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Until then, hope you had a wonderful Christmas and uh, talk to you one more time before the new year. Until then, I am Dan Viennes. Thank you for listening to the Field Goals Podcast. Peace.